following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Back to the Future, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., Guardians of the Galaxy, Power Rangers, Jurassic Park, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, The Beast of 20,000 Fathoms, Godzilla vs. King Kong, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, Godzilla vs. Bambi, The X-Files, Law and Order, SVU, Superman 2, and Breakfast at Tiffany. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or time-traveling eco-terrorists that resurrect evil monsters in order to save the future environment. Uh, With me as always, no, I already messed that up. (laughs) I am your co-host, Louis G. And with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host. Wait, did I say I'm your co-host? I need to do this whole thing over, PJ. No worries. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or time-traveling eco-terrorists who awaken an ancient monster in order to save the future environment. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week, unless I'm inviting back one of my champion co-hosts from the past, which is exactly what I'm doing this week. So joining me this week to talk about a great, great movie is robo-enthusiast, G-fan, returning champ, PJ Mancuso. Welcome to the show, PJ. Hi, Lou. PJ, why don't you tell our audience what bonkers, crazy bananas movie we're going to be talking about today? Today, we will be talking about Godzilla versus King Ghidorah from 1991. That is right. Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, uh, directed and written by Kazuki Omari. Oh, I had a question immediately from the title for you. And PJ, I'm really glad that you're here because I like Godzilla. I have always liked, I, when I was a kid, I had, when I was like, I think 11 or 12 years old, I had this really big Godzilla toy that had a button that you press and it makes, it makes the iconic roar. And I would terrorize my whole family with it all the time. And uh, so, and I've always liked Godzilla movies, but as I've always had a sort of kid's idea of what they are. And I've, oh, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember any of the plot of any of the movies. I just remember the big battles and who does he fight and who wins in this one. So when I, when I watched this movie, when you picked this movie out and I wanted to like sit and and really consider Godzilla and go through it and really give it, give it more, uh, more attention. I discovered a lot of really fun and cool things about Godzilla, but I also have a ton of questions about the continuity, about the world, (laughs) the whole about the whole Godzilla project, let's call it. And um, my, my first thing is from this title, I think, I may be mistaken about this, but I think I've heard King Ghidorah referred to as Monster Zero. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, in the previous era of Godzilla films from the one we're watching, um, the Showa era, uh, which is from the 54 movie of Gojira to... The 75, oh, I knew this earlier. Sorry, we're going to make me do that a little bit more confidently. Yes. Um, going from the 54 movie Gojira to the 1975 movie Terror of Mechagodzilla, 
that's when you would have had a character like at the time known as Ghidra in the international releases in the US or Monster Zero, uh, which was a film that Ghidra, King Ghidorah, starred in with Godzilla and I believe Rodan. Okay. Why, why the name change? Is it a translation thing? So the name changes, it's definitely has to do with the way the movies were localized at the time mm-hmm. in the, in the sixties and the seventies and even in the fifties when these Japanese monster movies were brought over like Godzilla or even King Kong, the original Godzilla versus King Kong, uh, they were localized for Americans in a different way than they would be today. Uh, today you would get subtitle tracks or a decently produced dub. Back then it was rewrite some of the script, alter scenes, especially Godzilla versus King Kong has scenes added to it. But in this case, uh, Monster Zero is a more marketable kind of name, Planet X. Mm. It kind of fits in with a lot of the different sci-fi that was going on at the time. Funny enough, Monster Zero is one of the sort of similar one of the times where they introduced like an American actor at the time, Nick Adams, mm-hmm. um, because they were actually working on trying to be more international and specifically with America at the time with that release. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Th- this they, movie they, is international and intertemporal. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, uh, this is a wild one. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure where to start with for uh, a Heisei era Godzilla film. But this one seemed to be, well, I'll be honest, Lou. I really wanted you to see one scene in this movie in particular. <laughs> I think I know what scene you're talking about. <laughs> and and like, you know, I was like, okay, I have I have the the chance and I'm gonna bring it. I knew what the rest of the movie was. Mm-hmm. And based on a conversation we've been having about uh your watch of Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, I just knew that this would be right up your alley. Yes, and listeners, we are definitely, definitely going to talk about that scene. Uh, I don't want to hint too much towards it too much, but we're going to have a lot to say about it because it is fantastic. <laughs> PJ, I'm so glad that you picked this movie. When you when you say things like the the Heisei era, or what was the other one, the show? Showa. Showa. Is Toho another one? Is that or is that the that's the company that makes them? Toho is the studio that makes uh, Godzilla films in Japan, and they they've I mean they're a plurific uh, plurific they're a huge studio in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, you know, equivalent to where we have like Universal or Warner okay, Brothers yeah. to that yeah. effect. Um, I actually even toured the Toho studio. I was in Japan, and it's an amazing mm. lot. And so, oh, go ahead. The yeah. Different the different eras are those. Is that mean like that's not different studios? Then it's different directors or different different. So the way um, they've kind of broken it into eras for Godzilla films is during which uh, reign of the emperor at the time the films were produced. So oh, wow, okay, yeah, it's an interesting thing when. Um, when Liter- so like literally when we talk about like the Edo era of Japan, we're, we're talking about the same thing. Like we're, we're, we're talking about the timeline of Japan history based on who. So like, like in America, we'd call it like the Clinton years or the Reagan years, right? Something, Something like, that. like that. Yes, exactly. You know, um, to, to give you like a congruent timeline period, this would be from the Reagan era to the Clinton era. 
of America for Heisei. Showa would be the Emperor Showa's from post-World War II all the way up to 1989. That's very interesting. The thing you said about about the translation to Monster Zero versus King Ghidorah, that makes a lot of sense because I know what a king is. I don't know what a Ghidorah is. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like with that with with that title i don't know if without seeing a poster or some sort of promotional art for it i don't know if it's a political movie a renaissance movie i don't know if it's about medieval knights i don't know but if it's called monster zero i'm pretty sure i know what i'm buying a ticket for so i, I guess <laughs> that localization change kind of makes sense so this is you said that the first the first godzilla movie was 1954 right that is correct. So this movie is kind of like the Godzilla in that movie is literally the one that they're talking about in this movie, or is it a, a different continuity? Is this the, what I'm asking, is this the end game of the Avengers <laughs> end game of the Godzilla? Movie? Cause they literally are going back to try to manipulate the events that created the original Godzilla. And so they're like, it's. <laughs> Godzilla timelines are. A little confusing at times, but I will I will now do my best to not go into too much detail, but to give a broad overview of where we are in terms of like a Godzilla continuity. Yeah, like yeah, definitely bring us to like where are we in the crazy timeline for this for this movie, like when this movie's established. Sure. So the 1954 movie Gojira or Godzilla King of the Monsters, as it was released in the United States, is the beginning point sort of the, let's say, Captain America, the first Avenger of Godzilla. Um, (laughs) This is a perfect way to frame it. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) The uh, Heisei era takes that movie and then ignores everything that comes after it from the Showa era. Mm. And in 1984, a movie called The Return of Godzilla comes out, where it's basically supposed to be in 1954, they killed Godzilla and in 1984, Godzilla comes back. How, how did they kill him originally the first time? They used a experimental weapon called the Oxygen Destroyer, which uh, does pop up in other events as time goes on. That was in the newest one. That's like the only thing I remember from the, not the newest, newest one, but King of Monsters, the one that came yes. out in like 2019. That's like the only thing I remember from that is, is Rodan coming out of a volcano and some sort of oxygen bomb. The Oxygen Destroyer, I, I uh, marked out, as a wrestling fan would say, uh, when <laughs> when uh, the Oxygen Destroyer showed up. I was like, oh, they brought it into this. I'm, I'm happy mm. to see it. Yeah, so they killed Godzilla with that weapon. It uh, destroyed mm. the oxygen in the water and did not allow the, the monster to uh, breathe, and it died and turned into a pile of bones. That was the end of Godzilla up until in this timeline, 1984, where Japan is in a more prosperous uh, state. Uh, their economy is, is booming and will be for a few more years, which I'll get into that actually in a little bit too. That Who knew the economy of Japan from the early 90s would factor into a podcast uh, called <laughs> Robots versus Dinosaurs, but it will. Um <laughs> I think I think on a podcast called Robots versus Dinosaurs, if we're not talking about the economy of Japan in the nineties, at some point <laughs> we're doing something wrong. It's uh, partially fueled by robots, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've they've successfully built a giant Gundam at this point. So that moves too. Oh, I need yeah. to go back. So Godzilla comes back. 
Okay. And the Heisei era was a return to um, a darker kind of story with Godzilla. After Godzilla versus King Kong, that was the third original Godzilla movie, it kind of starts to be a little bit more lighter and Godzilla fights a space monster. Godzilla is the savior of the world. Godzilla is our hero. This takes that and goes back to Godzilla as an allegory of nuclear war. Was Godzilla... So Godzilla... So that was a new thing, Godzilla being the hero rather than the, the, destructive, the destructive force? He, he had been a, a hero from basically the 60s into the 70s and then oh, okay. he went away and even in portrayal in in other media like you know in uh, we had a a cartoon here in the united states uh, mm-hmm. with godzilla and Godzuki, and you know he was like a good guy in that as well and there's even a marvel comic where he well, he's not exactly a good guy she's fighting shield and <laughs> other marvel superheroes are trying to like stop him from destroying stuff yeah in in 1984 we come back and godzilla is our villain again Okay, and and he and it's in there. The the movie is much darker, and as a kid, it was a scarier movie to me. And that's actually one of my favorite films because it changed up the way I I wanted to watch a movie like Godzilla. Mm. Like I was more in there for the broodier, darker, but also sort of cyberpunky neon Tokyo kind of thing. Cool. I'm here for anything that's going to show me like future outfits, future tech, <laughs> uh, which is is so I've I've watched two Godzilla movies recently for the podcast. I watched this one and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, and that so that's a 1973. So w- which which era was that? That was the Showa era. That's Showa era. the uh, the second to last Godzilla film actually at that time period. The final film is the Terror of Mechagodzilla the sequel and Um, um, we go from 1975 until 1984 without a Godzilla film. Oh, wow. A marked, a marked difference that I noticed immediately between this, the one from 73 and this one from 91 was the way they depicted Godzilla. I couldn't tell in this one if, if it was a suit the whole time, there were certain shots where it's definitely somebody in a rubber suit, but there were also a lot where it just kind of looked like a really stiff animatronic thing that you'd see at like, like a, and I'm, I'm trying to say this in a not negative way, but like you'd see it like an animatronic, like a Disney park ride or something like that, that just kind of has limited motions, but just enough for the camera shot. So can you kind of clear, clear that up for me? Cause I'm, I'm probably, I, pr- I probably just couldn't tell what I was looking at. <laughs> So as a G fan in the Godzilla community, suits are actually the one area where I haven't done a lot of study. There's a lot of people who could tell you the differences between every film, even though sometimes they've reused suits, they make minor changes. Primarily, Godzilla is a suit motion kind of character in Japan. Suitmation. I learned that term yesterday, suitmation. He's portrayed as such, like all the way into the Millennium series, which is the series that comes after this one. Uh, as of now, Godzilla is primarily a CG actor. But to answer your question, what's animatronic and what's not, I wish I could 100% tell you. I'm not going to stall for time and look it up. <laughs> uh, um, but they do have, I know for the return of Godzilla, 
they did have a larger sort of animatronic face that they would film for things and for for some close-up work. Um, I know at this point in time, the craft work that goes into these suits is bonkers ahead of where it was even in the 70s after they had been working on the films for so long. There's a lot of animatronic pieces in Godzilla, the suit even. You know, it's one thing that's that's consistent that I think is it's 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 the kind of thing like a mascot does really well at like a at like a sports game like a big coliseum a mascot does these big hand motions like they're like they're a diver or or an astronaut like doing communicate like big big motions to communicate something that is that is kind of how i would describe the suitmation performances in both of these movies that i watched from that are 20 years apart and one specific thing that i that i think is proof that it's it's effective and that you don't need much more than this is every time Godzilla does a certain like head motion where he like pulls his head back and drops his lower jaw a bit I'm like ooh that breath weapon's coming yeah. it's it's this visual cue that the second or third time you see it it gets you excited. You're like, oh, he's about to drop. He's about to pull out his his, his special move. And, and it just, for me, it worked. Now, every time I see the guy in the suit about to do that motion, I it instantly triggers that reaction in my brain. And I I, I think that means, like, I think that it's my way of saying I really appreciate the, the suitmation work, the big performances, the big gestures, and all of that. Because... Yeah, it's limited, but they're they're kind of leaning into the limitation of it. They they definitely embrace everything that they can do with that. I, I mean, including the filming techniques that they even build around it and how they get shots that would otherwise be impossible to do. I mean, you can't film underwater with a guy in the suit battling another monster and not drown. So, you know, they do different camera techniques to make it look better, but the the way that they move is very believable even at times which is you know i mean it, it, it believable it, it it looks organic it looks like it belongs even though it is a giant monster and mm-hmm. it's it's attacking a city you know you're like oh uh, it still has a, a level of of quality behind it that even gives it a character and you can even almost tell when Godzilla's thinking mm-hmm. when, when you know it, based solely on just the, the motions of the actor controlling the suit and it, it's it's a craft unto itself that you know i mean very often uh, i believe the suit performers you know, without certain exceptions, stay on as Godzilla for extended periods of time. I know that there's a few times where somebody has to fill in, but for the most part, you know, once you're a Godzilla actor, you act as Godzilla for as long as you can because you know the intricacies of performing it. That's cool. That's really cool. You talked about in the 1954 one, the way that they killed Godzilla. How did Godzilla come to be in that one? Was he just a thing that emerged from the sea. It's just a, a big mystery and a scary thing. We don't know where it came from, or do they have a backstory in that movie? So the backstory has always been that Godzilla was created through atomic testing. Godzilla at its heart is uh, an allegory for the horrors of nuclear war in the original 54 piece. In fact, it's actually a slight bit of satire and social criticism at the time because it was hard in 54 for Japanese studios to put out anything that kind of touched on the subject 
at the time because of the way uh, America's relationship was with the United States. Mm. And so in order to even have a film and that starts to breach these subjects and discusses these things, they looked to science fiction and were inspired by a few films that were made in America at the time, uh, King Kong and just before this one, actually, um, The Beast of 20,000 Fathoms. Hmm. Any uh, any Spielberg films? Do you think they had any reference uh, or any any reverence for for Spielberg films? Oh, that might have influenced things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think. Um, oh, uh, you know, maybe we could tell our son about that someday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> the so. So um, in the, I remember the ninety the nineteen ninety eight Godzilla, the one with with uh, Gene Reno, is is one of the few, few that I've seen, and Hank Azaria. Uh, I love that your pulls for for that movie are Jean Reno and Hank Azaria, not Matthew Broderick. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, the less said about the less said about. Poor Matthew Broderick, but well, I guess because those are my two favorite actors that are in it, and they're yeah. and they're both they are both. They are both giving me what I need when I'm watching that movie, which is some kind of levity and some kind of entertainment because it's a it's not good. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, half the cast of The Simpsons can't uh, save the movie, but it definitely <laughs> uh, keeps it going and moving. And yep. I guess fun. Um, but in that one, I remember Godzilla was like literally an iguana that was exposed to radiation (laughs) and just grew very, very large. So he's just a big iguana. So in in this movie, PJ, you've been on the show before. We talked about the 1986 Transformers and you uh, declared yourself to be a very big robot fan. Are you also a big dino fan? Growing up, I was a huge dinosaur fan. Okay. Um, Every holiday, every birthday that I could get a gift on, my family members gave me something dinosaur related. Partially why I was a huge Godzilla fan. It was movies about dinosaurs. And I wanted as many as I could get. And in the late 80s, early 90s, that was our option. Not to say that, like, you know, I I was wont for good dinosaur movies. I loved them. I think the only Godzilla film I disliked was Godzilla versus Bambi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, show notes in case anybody hasn't seen it. It's like a good two, three minute short. Something like that. Yeah. It, yeah it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's super short. Uh, and it, as a kid, you're like, oh, what's this? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so PJ, is, is Godzilla, in fact, a, a dinosaur? Well, Lou, that brings us to the other reason I really wanted to watch this movie with you. Mm-hmm. You had asked me that question and... We could never truly confirm Godzilla was a dinosaur up until this movie. Yeah. At least for this timeline, Godzilla was, in fact, once a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, there are there are three. I've, I've figured out from doing this podcast for about six months now that uh, because the, these are these are the things I've been trying to explore. You know, people maybe they're when they're looking at the podcast feed, they're like robots versus dinosaurs. I, I get that you want to review movies, but why, why, why specifically robot and dinosaur movies? And and listeners, I'll tell you, it's because I'm discovering some truths about robot films and dinosaur films and sci-fi in general. And this is one. This is very valuable. A very valuable fact that I've discovered through watching all of these movies. There are, PJ. I have discovered 
three ways that you can get dinosaurs into your movie if you want dinosaurs into your movie. Time travel, genetic experiments, or some kind of lost world that's usually on a remote island. This movie does all three. It does. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you think of a fourth way? Can you think of a dinosaur movie that doesn't, doesn't require one of those three things to get dinosaurs on screen? Ooh, how did we're back work? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That's the Don Bluth and like Roger Rabbit animated one. Yeah, that's the it's the animated dinosaurs and I think live action people. I can't think honestly. I can't think of anything. Those that that is the major. Yeah, <laughs> holy crap, Lou! You've broken the you've broken the uh, <laughs> the 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 equation here. Oh, you know what I just thought of? Uh, the Land Before Time. Technically, we're not time traveling. Uh, Nobody's yes. time traveling in it. Yes, we're just, films actually set in the uh periods of the dinosaurs okay so that's the fourth one i'm gonna that would be the fourth one, one. The yes okay so period pieces uh period piece. during the dinosaur <laughs> um, you know it's, it's you can really tell the difference between a jurassic period film and a cretaceous period film mm. you know based solely on the wicker furniture that the dinosaurs sit on for me it's the fashion yes yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. So, so, so Godzilla for sure in this movie is a dinosaur. He is, uh, he exists already on the island of Lagos in the, in the Marshall Islands. He apparently is just the, the island's protector. The movie um, introduces us to Major Shindo, who was uh, one of the soldiers that fought on Lagos. He was stationed there with his garrison during World War II, towards the end of the war, 1944. I believe it was actually, they get very specific, and I think it was like February 1944. And the island is about to be invaded by the American Navy when a dinosaur, a Tyrannosaurus rex, with a very long neck, but a Tyrannosaurus rex stomps out of the, the jungle, targets only the American soldiers, yes. and stomps and eats them, but actually mostly knocks trees over on top of them to kill them, which is a very roundabout way for a giant thing to kill some, kill a bunch of people, but okay. And it, but it, it protects this island from the American troops, almost dies, but then later on, 10 years later, when the Americans are testing nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons in the Bikini Atoll, I suppose the, the radiation, the fallout, it changes that dinosaur carcass. I guess it was dead at this point, right? And it, and it changes it into Godzilla. Yeah, they, it, it's a little confusing as to whether or not he actually is dead at that point or if he's just like, he's going to be okay. And then <laughs> he, like is, he wakes up the next day, shakes it off, and then 10 years down the line is irradiated by Castle Bravo. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is the, this movie and this time period's origin story of Godzilla. This is him getting his super soldier formula and fighting the Nazis. Mm. Um, this, <laughs> in, which is, case, in this case, the Nazis are the, the U.S. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> oh, that battle scene. Um, yeah. that looked like it was, it was from a different era of filmmaking. Even it felt very much like a sixties, uh, world war two film where, you know, it's, it's very clean, very clinical, 
people just sort of doing stunt explosion dives for, for mm-hmm. death scenes. You don't have any Saving Private Ryan guts in the sand getting squashed by a dinosaur and blood spurting <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I, I, let's, yeah, let's dive into that yes. whole entire thing because it's, <laughs> out of all the set pieces in this movie, it, it is, it is one of the craziest. It's just a really interesting way that it frames it frames history and it frames where this movie itself is at in its own timeline because the movie starts. Okay. So the movie starts out with it actually. Okay. Just to jump all over the place. The very first part of the movie starts out in the future. We start in 2204 AD in the, uh, the sea of Okotsk and a submarine is searching the seabed it finds some sort of dragon carcass. I think any any Godzilla fan would know that this is um, two of the three heads of King Ghidorah. One of them has been, looks like it's been bitten off or burned off. Then the submarine gives some sort of like feedback to a base. They do a 90s lawnmower man style computer rendering of what they're seeing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes back, we go back in time to 1992 AD Tokyo. And there's a UFO. And this movie is not slowing down. Oh. <laughs> no, we, we open with like, James Cameron still practicing his hobby, solely funded by Avatar 2 and 3, even in 2204. Yep. And uh, yeah, then we cut right into UFOs. You know, just it's a lot of scenes of this thing flying over the sky and people looking at it mm-hmm. and watching and, and pointing. And, and then uh, we're introduced to our next character. Kosuke. The reporter calls uh, Kylo Ren and he answers <laughs> the phone in the towel and shirtless. Her <laughs> nonfiction writer, um, whose actual name is Ken. So I'm not too far off by calling him Kylo Ren. <laughs> Kylo Ken? Um, yeah, Tirasawa. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, who are you going to introduce? Oh, no, it's all right. It was, it's the, the uh, our sort of, our axiom here is Kosuke Terasawa, who is, uh, sorry, Ken, I'm getting the actor name and the author name confused. So let me reboot this. Um, yeah, the actor is Kosuke Toyahara, right? Yes. And he plays and the, Ken he plays, So we're introduced to the author, uh, Kenshiro, who writes for Super Mystery Magazine Moo, which is an actual yeah. real magazine. Oh, and he also has a real Godzilla toy on his desk. Did you he notice does. that? Yeah. <laughs> he gets a phone call and it's, you know, it's like, hey, do you see the UFO? Uh, no, I slept through it. <laughs> but I read yeah. the papers. It's like, <laughs> I went to bed early. <laughs> I went to bed early. Of all the times. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't deal with UFOs. I was tired. Yeah. He's, he, he, his whole source of income at the moment is writing about ufos and no one gave him a phone call like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess he has dreams of being a non-fiction writer it's I, i'm not sure exactly what his ambitions are but i do know that this reporter that keeps calling him is is really desperate to land this dude and and literally like proposes marriage to him on yes. his answering machine <laughs> then there is we see uh, somebody walking around and it looks like they're giving a tour or something inside of this museum but it turns out they're just a crazy person who goes to the museum to yell at everybody <laughs> about the fact that he saw a real dinosaur uh he says you'll never understand what it was about this great beast but i know and i know that it was always watching over us from somewhere we're at whenever we're helpless and desperate during this time of hopelessness, the, the dinosaur will come to save us. The, the so, sole member of Dianon. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is Shindo, right? This is Major Shindo? 
from, the crazy from, man. No, it's actually, yeah. So that's where the film kind of gets a little confusing at times. This is somebody else. Um, because okay. he goes to, he, the, the, there's another scene where he actually meets with this guy at a restaurant that he works at and he's, he's talking to him about it. Yeah. Who works at that restaurant? The, the, the guy at the, um, the guy we see at the museum with the megaphone screaming at people about a dinosaur, uh, which, you know, in th- this version of 1992 shouldn't seem like a crazy idea, seeing as that Godzilla has now shown up three separate times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, it's that's like, a really good point. Yeah. Th- this guy, he's yelling about dinosaurs existing and we're like, Oh, don't look at that guy. He, he's, he's something wrong with him. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Godzilla's real. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like at a certain point during X-Files, Scully can't be like Mulder. There's no such thing. Scully, you've seen some shit. Like, don't tell me there's no such thing as dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Mulder, this can all be explained by science. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like at some point you got to be like, okay, all right, we are living, we are living in a sci-fi world. Exactly. And the previous film before this, Godzilla versus Biollante, had a giant sentient biologically engineered rose <laughs> so the, some one guy screaming about dinosaurs being real isn't that fantastical. Not only that, the government the government has a Godzilla team. There's a yes. character, a Sagusa. Miki Sagusa. Miki Sagusa, uh, played by it, Megumi Odaka. Yeah, Miss, Miss Sagusa is like the lead. I, I don't know what they're called, but she's of the Godzilla team. So if the government has a Godzilla team... <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah okay <laughs> We're, we yeah there, there's there's time travelers yeah um so yeah so initially the first few times i've watched this movie when i would catch it on like showtime beyond in the early 2000s it was a little confusing initially as to who this gentleman was and if because he doesn't show up again he's gone he, okay he, that's why yeah. i was so confused yeah, he, he like you'd think that they would even like mention to him. It's like, hey, by the way, that dinosaur was real. <laughs> but no, he this man will never get closure on this until. So he was just yeah. like he was one of Shindo's men. That's that's, who he was? that's from what I understood. Yes, Ikehara is his last name, um, and he was a former soldier in the uh, Lagos Island detachment. Okay, interesting. Yeah. You know, I've I've uh, <laughs> I've been to Lagos. Really? Yeah. Um, when I so when I was in the Navy, I was stationed in Guam. And uh, I'm kind of just dropping that. Listeners, if you don't know, I, I used to, I'm a Navy veteran. I was uh, on a, uh, excuse me, I don't know why I can't remember what I did as a job. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was on a submarine in a station in Guam. I was a scuba diver. Um, but when I, when I was getting stationed there, though, like the, the flight to Guam, there's, you basically have two options. One is a continental, um, continental airline direct flight. And one is where you land in Hawaii and then you take a whole bunch of island hopper planes that are like 45 minutes to two hour rides each. And I kind of like hopped a bunch of islands uh, on my way to Guam, Lagos being one of them. Like it was like Lagos, Rota. um, I couldn't even tell you which ones, but it was like my experience of it, what I remember was landing on an airstrip that was almost the size of the island. And people waiting for a plane with just like crates with like livestock in them. And like, like it was like a bus stop and yeah. it was 
and just there was this gorgeous waterfall and it was such an otherworldly amazing experience and such a beautiful beautiful island that i could totally understand why any dinosaur would want to protect it from battleships that are invading <laughs> i was gonna ask if you ran into any uh gojasauruses over there no which i would have been the prime target because i was <laughs> the american, american sa- navy sailor coming into the island but i but i was just i was just only only there to get to the next island. So yeah, you know, they, they, they brief you at the airport. Listen, sailor, don't go in this direction. Yeah, uh, there's a dinosaur the and it specifically eats personnel from the U.S. Navy. Yes, personnel, <laughs> American military people is yes. what they refer to themselves as. <laughs> and which is how I know that none of these actors. Oh, no. <laughs> or anybody that wrote the script. The good old, the good old U.S. Navy Colonel and Major. It's just okay. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. The very concept. This is just the the Major Shindo. <laughs> this movie broke me. Uh, Major Shindo fought on Lagos with his garrison. The American Navy comes in. The, the thing about this Navy, though, the way they depict them, it's, I guess, I, turnabout is fair play, is maybe the way I'd put it. Yes. We, if you look at American movies from any era, I, I'm going to include the modern, I'm going to cl- include movies from this year, where we depict our military versus any foreign military, especially during World War II. We're not very kind with our depictions of the enemy. (laughs) We make the actors do these very large, exaggerated line deliveries and gestures and things that are almost theatrical, more theatrical than 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 cinematic. And I feel like that's what the the Kazuki Omori, the director of this movie, was asking his American actors that are playing these World War II American soldiers to do. Because their 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 acting is very seems deliberately. Um, but it's very stilt, stilted. It's very weird. It's very yes. just the way that they talk to each other is weird. So maybe, yeah, maybe you can shed some light on that. I can, I can shed a little bit of light on that. From what I have read, oftentimes Japanese productions will cast from a pool of expats that are living in Japan, primarily those who are there to teach English. Okay. And you unfortunately don't get a large pool of actual practicing actors. And so you hire a person who fits the bill, is American and will speak in English, and they will deliver these lines as wooden as you possibly can or inhumanly as possibly can. <laughs> and and so you get these very stilted performances that, yes, they do almost border on caricature and exaggeration. I, I, I do think that our, our prime targets for this are our colonel of the Navy and our uh, major. Is that the character's name? Yes. Uh, that was listed on, as, uh, at, as, uh, on the call sheet. U.S. Navy colonel. Um, <laughs> a rank that does not exist. Um <laughs> We were a little inside baseball on that one. Um, <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true because it goes ensign, lieutenant. I'm sorry, ensign, second lieutenant, lieutenant, lieutenant commander, commander, captain, admiral, and then bigger admiral. Admirals. of the Navy. Um, yeah, like fleet admiral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
There is no Navy Colonel. <laughs> what is going on here? Which I, I guess like the only thing I guess you could get confused is like uh, Marine ranks and Naval ranks, but um, yeah, sure. That, that's a different it, podcast. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. wrong, but it's also, it doesn't, it, this is a sci-fi movie. This exactly. movie has uh, three time travelers from the future coming back to the nineties in order to go back even further in order to pick up people from the nineties to take them back even further in time in order to prevent something from the future. So this is like, why not just this, why not, you know, the, the whole, would you kill Hitler as a baby? If you have time travel and your goal is to get rid of Godzilla, why not smash Godzilla when he's an egg instead of (laughs) when he's a big dinosaur on Lagos? Um, I guess maybe because we can't pinpoint his birth. That's it's a mystery, okay. you know. Uh, a lot of birthers out there are still looking for the proper birth certificate for Godzilla. You know, he's not an actual resident yeah. of Japan, but uh, no, actually, he is. Uh, he's an honorary resident of Japan. Yeah, well, I know King Caesar is Okinawan, so yes. that's that's a whole other thing. He has but... his own theme song. <laughs> King Caesar. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> His own music video. Yes. Godzilla. Yeah. So I guess I guess this is following Avengers Endgame time travel rules. They have to ha- they have to know where he's going to be in the timeline before they just drop willy nilly in into some place. Although I guess, it, but if you're living hundreds of years in the future, I get you could do the research, right? You could, whatever. I'm I'm picking this apart more than I need to. <laughs> Because ultimately, the movie needs these characters to get back to 1944. That's just what exactly. needs to happen. So that's what happens, and they do. And but and they bring with them these three Dorats. So that uh, so I, okay, I should <laughs> scattered all over the place. I know. I'm so sorry. I should talk about the time travelers themselves, so yes. that we can. Because a very important character in this movie is Emmy Kano, and we've got to we've got to introduce her. So the the when the UFO lands, we send our uh, security chief and Mr. Or I guess Professor uh, Fujio from he's the head physicist of Ultra Science Institute, and <laughs> um, they go to greet the three aliens that come out of the UFO that has just destroyed two helicopters. But they're yes. assuming that they're going to have a peaceful conversation, and they do, and the helicopters thing never comes up. They never are like, hey, you, you, you killed a couple of our people, a couple of our pilots. Never gets acknowledged. But in the future, they're, they're, they've evolved. Society has evolved past apologizing. So <laughs> Apparently. The, uh, <laughs> these three time travelers are wearing... I mean, they're immediate. This is immediately Superman two. They're they're very wooden. They're very weird, and they're wearing these future suits that are yellow, purple, and green. The one in yellow is uh, Emi Kano, and she introduced herself as a Japanese national who was. Yeah, we'll get into why she's there. Yes. Wilson is uh, wearing a purple jacket, and then in the green jacket, Glenchiko, and they also have their buddy Android M eleven who is, uh, I actually did a little bit of research on this guy. Because I love this, because you know I love this character. (laughs) The actor is exactly what you were kind of describing earlier, Robert Scott Field, who I found out was a baseball player in Japan. And he he loved, I guess he just loved the culture and everything so much that he decided to live there 
um, after after playing baseball and and try to become an actor. I think that's kind of cool. And <laughs> I loved, I, I, I will get into M11. He also bears a yeah. strong resemblance to Christopher Maloney from Law and Order SVU. Oh my God, that's who it is. Yeah, he had he had a face where I was like, ah, he's really giving me vibes of of, a, of an actor that I see all the time now. I can't think of who it is, but I know it's not this guy because this is 1991. That's that's a good poll. That's exactly it. Watched the movie like I hadn't watched it in a long time, and I watched it for the first time again like 10, 10 years ago, and I'm, and I'm and I'm like. Wait a second. You know, I know in the 80s and the 90s, a lot of American actors were showing up in commercials and, and, and other broadcasting stuff in Japan. But I was, you know, I was like, Christopher Maloney is in this movie in 1991? How did that happen? Can you tell me why they need why they need people from 91 Japan to go back with them to fifth to 44 Japan or 44 Lagos? So the uh, the great warning that the people of the 23rd century bring to Japan is that in the 23rd century, Japan is a nuclear wasteland, mm-hmm. and it is because of Godzilla. And in order to save Japan of the future, we have to go back in time and prevent Godzilla from ever becoming Godzilla. And okay. so we cannot bring... So with us people who are actually at the event because they cannot exist in the same space at the same time. That Very makes time- sense. I like that rule. I like that rule. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is why uh, we don't have Shindo in the past because he is on the island as well. Well, that actor still gets some work though. We see him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, he <laughs> and gets- he looks so young as one other character <laughs> remarks. He's wearing a hat. Um <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, keep going. That's okay. Um, and so we we have our, our, our professor, mm-hmm. we have our author, and we also have Miki Sagusa, who you had brought up before. Uh, mm-hmm. Miki is actually a fixture of the Heisei era films from the previous film, uh, Biolanti, all the way ah. up to 95's Godzilla vs. Destroyer. Cool. I like her. She, it made sense that they would bring her. She's a Godzilla expert like that. That was the one where I was, and also yeah. I guess the professor, the, the author, now I remember why they brought him. It's because his book was published in the future. Yes. And he, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. So they, the way they prove that this is real to the Japanese government, that they are not just people with advanced technology that somehow are teleporting and, having holographic images and blowing up our helicopters without saying sorry Mm. to prove that they are in fact from the future, give a book to the Japanese government and say, uh, it's all in this book, the answers to what, why we are here. And so our, our author, uh, gets, Ken gets a call, you know, in the middle of the night, the prime minister wants to speak to me. (laughs) And he's like, this is the book I wrote. Well, writing. I'm writing it right now. I think the best moment that comes out of this is they they say to, they tell him that oh they've done full scans and calculations of Godzilla's mass and structure, and he's like, "Were they close to mine?" And <laughs> he goes, two percent off," and he is so pumped. He is like, "Yes, I got it right." <laughs> and I forgot there's also a hidden reason why, particularly Emi Kano. Wants to oh, bring yes. the wants to bring Kylo Ren on this time travel mission that we find out later. 
<laughs> which I got to ask you, you've already seen the movie, but maybe the first time you saw it, were you expecting, were you, maybe it's because I, I I grew up watching American movies. Were you expecting a, a love subplot, a romance B plot? That's the way they kind of sort of, you know, like, and this is actually something that does pop up in a lot of the Heisei era films. There are, there is a romantic plot at times. And in this case, they kind of hint at that as being the reason in the case uh, mm-hmm. in this moment, because there's a line later on and he is like, oh, I come back to this time period and I like this time period because you're here. Yeah. And the look he gets on his face is like, oh, oh, I'm here. Oh, okay. And so it's not, okay. It's not just me. It's not just you. No, that's, okay. that's a common, <laughs> common issue with this movie is, is, is like, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. We're going to have time, you know, inter, inter time period uh, romance. What is Marty McFly? My mom has the hots for me. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, it's uh, the less said, I guess, about incest, the better. Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's long story short, <laughs> it turns out that he is her great, 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 great. No, maybe not that many greats, but they I are two. I think distantly related. <clears throat> um, so we 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 uh, we do find that out, although he does not know that because uh, mm-hmm. she says that in the end to nobody except herself. And I think that prompts him to accept the marriage proposal that's left on his answering machine. I think yes, I, do believe I think so. that's sort of where the movie wants us to think like things are heading, but they're not going to spend a lot of time on it, so neither should we. Exactly. Uh, what we should spend time on is Emmy coming to the ship and there are these th- <laughs> there are these three creepy-faced flying <laughs> bat creatures <laughs> called Dorats Back and she plays heads. She pulls out a future flute and starts playing it. And Emmy might be Amelia Clark because she looks like the mother of dragons in this shot. (laughs) Probably edit that out, but I'm not gonna. Um, Tell me you're not getting mother of dragons vibes when she's got the three little ringed creatures. One's on her shoulder. She's kind of holding one and petting it, right? And they're all fawning over her. uh, PJ, I'm not a big Godzilla fan. I immediately sussed out what was going on. <laughs> I was like, "All right, there's three of them. I don't, I don't exactly, I don't exactly know what a baby Ghidorah looks like, and I don't know how these three things are going to combine. But I have a feeling, 50 years later, we're going to have a big Ghidorah, <laughs> and these three are going to merge or something. Gold, so, scaly, winged creatures, huh? What could they yeah. be? But they are, they are cute. They are, they cute are. as baby. They're, they're, so they border on that like creepy cute because they yeah. kind of like, like they kind of look like they have the Joker's head and yet they're yeah. bats. And I'm like, ah, I don't trust that. That looks dangerous. Their faces are too person-like for me. It's an uncanny valley thing. Yes. I want them to be more monstrous, more dragon-ish. So are they, are they like innocent cute babies because anything is an innocent cute baby? Did circumstances in Ghidorah's life make him become evil later on? Also, I guess, I guess the bigger question is how did he become a king? Like, was he, was he born royalty? (laughs) Or were all three of them born royalty? Do you, do you know the life cycle of a Ghidorah? Because they skip over the major important part where these three babies merge into one creature. Yes. So so after after our we we go back in time and we we see our our uh, World War II battle. 
teleport Godzilla out of the island and put him onto the Bering Sea, we see that Emmy shoves the Dorats out of the spacecraft, the time traveling mm. machine, the time machine. That's what that's what we call it. And that's what turns them evil, the abandonment. Yes, the the abandonment yeah. of being pushed away by their mother and subjected to the horrors of nuclear radiation. Yeah. Oh, it is it is new it is nuclear radiation. I forgot that that is a plot device that yes. turns things evil because that's that that it turns Godzilla evil later on. Yes, for you see listeners, this was all a plan. <laughs> <laughs> the another thing that comes up is that Dorats are empathic and that they can they're kind of like Mantis from the Guardians of the Galaxy. They can like they can control your emo- or affect your emotions. Yes. So she says, like, if we get depressed or whatever, if we get, like, melancholy during time travel, they can cheer us up. Hee hee hee. I can't tell if that was just an off-the-cuff joke or if it's an important if, – if it's a thing that Ghidorah can do. Like, is Ghidorah empathic? Does that ever come up ever again? I, I don't believe so. It, it was – I don't know if maybe it's because, like, that allows them to be controlled by our future people down the line. Like, because – what happens to after that is, you know, we go back to the future and Godzilla's gone, but King Ghidorah's here. And it's like, well, who the fuck is King Ghidorah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, that's who showed up. And the, oh God, time travel always hurts my head. <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla's gone, but we know about Godzilla. In fact, we still know all the knowledge that we have of the past, mm-hmm. but we changed the past. Yeah. <laughs> and we change. Yeah. And again, <laughs> we're changing two points in the past. Yes. That are only connected to each other by Major Shindo, basically, and Godzilla. Now we're adding this other element that complicates the whole thing by dropping these Dorat babies in there. And whatever, we're on the island. We, they got The movie got us to the island and it yes. got us back to World War II. And we got to see this American ship coming in. <laughs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> bombarding bombarding the island. And on this ship is our two favorite characters who are looking. So these are our, I almost want to call them like Waldorf and Statler or like Laurel and Hardy. Like it's a, I wonder if these two actors do did any sort of like stage work together as a comedy duo. Do you know what I you know what I mean? I'm getting something from their performance that's very like yuck, 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 huh? <laughs> they oh no. Uh, I'm trying to like they're they they're very talking heady. Like it it's it, it's like we, we need we need two characters to uh to advance some of the exposition in this moment. Okay. Yes. Uh let's let's do it with these these navy personnel here. Okay. And then they're gonna be for yucks. Like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of it comes from though the like you said the performance and the delivery, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that they were I think that there was almost uh, I think that we th- this is a Japanese movie, and I do think it's fair for them to be like we want to depict these Americans as kind of buffoons. We, yes. we kind of want to make them less of a threat. You know, we want to make it them a little silly because in just, in any depiction any American. Yes. Uh, depiction of a Godzilla thing. Anything where like we are any any of our pop culture is commenting on Godzilla. I can tell you from growing up in the 90s, it is always the same sort of caricature or stereotype of 
a couple, like either a couple of businessmen or like a, a Japanese commander, maybe, you know, a Navy colonel, for example, <laughs> or something or something like that, pointing at the sky and yes. looking at their friend and saying, oh no, Godzilla is attacking the city. So I feel like this is their version. This is this movie's version of making two Americans go point and go, oh no, Godzilla is attacking the island, right? Exactly. I, I And it, it's interesting. This does actually stir up a bit of controversy, this whole section of the film. Okay. There's, it, it, it actually got to the point where in uh, a 2006 interview, Omori had to state that this scene wasn't specifically supposed to be anti-American. You know, he doesn't have any issues with America, but CNN actually reported on this in the time that it came out because of this scene where American military personnel being crushed by a dinosaur, Godzilla, and the sort of portrayal of these Americans in the movie. Yeah, I I get it, but like, come on. Oh, I mean, we are we do not have a leg to stand oh, on. Oh, we have no <laughs> leg to stand on in that. I mean, <laughs> like it, it, this is just it's it's the cyclical nature of of being being offended of being American and it's like mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like oh I don't like that portrayal of us despite the fact that in our in all of our history and all of our films the the portrayal of of the Japanese especially in World War II era films is heinous yeah and yeah. and for this to be a controversial moment in the history of uh, of relations between Japan and America is ridiculous. Uh, but, yes. it, you know, it, it, it was also seeing, actually... Oh, go ahead. Just in general, seeing in a movie American soldiers going to do something and then just getting slaughtered, like, en masse, it's, it's a shocking image to see as an American person, especially as a veteran, to be honest with you. But... For that reason, it it raised the stakes for me. I was like, oh yeah, if this was an American movie, they would have they would have held back on something like this. But because it's from it's from quote unquote the other side of the war of that war particularly, they can take a little a few more liberties, I think. And also because of the if if we're gonna at least they cast American actors to play these American people. It, they didn't pull a uh, Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh no, right? no. So like we got Major Spielberg here and and the U.S. Uh, Navy Colonel. <laughs> but, so just actually, every once in a while, glancing through my binoculars to look at the destruction and comment on it. And so I'm sorry, what were we gonna say? <laughs> so the way we were first introduced to them is they're they're talking about the invasion the next day, and then there's a light that streaks through the sky and land, goes towards the island. A UFO? Huh, it's probably a UFO. Maybe you can tell your son about that someday, Major Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) It's like delivered with the (laughs) biggest wink. (laughs) And in 91, what what Spielberg movie were they, I guess all of his work at that point, but I guess like Close Encounters. That's what I'm uh, thinking. E.T. specifically, right? That's what they're referring to here. Uh, Yeah. Because not Jurassic Park. This is two years before Jurassic Park. No, but then a dinosaur does show up. Yeah. <laughs> so Major yeah, Spielberg so, probably told his son about that. It's It was a premonition. That's yeah. how Jurassic Park came to be because, man, this movie predicted the future. There we um, go. Two years before. I guess, I guess honestly, uh, honestly, Jurassic Park might have been in pre-production at that time. So it's possible. 
that they knew, but they, <laughs> they do, uh, they don't hesitate to fire at this, at this thing. And they are they blasting it with a lot. And we get something that um, I've no, I've noticed in two Godzilla movies. So you can tell me if this is a thing, the monster is bleeding from the mouth quite profusely. Yes. Cause that happened in versus Mecha's Godzilla with Anguirus, Anguirus, Anguirus. Angerous. He did uh, in that movie. Godzilla got him in a wrestling lock and like did Kong's finishing move on yes. him, where he like pulled his jaw apart and he starts bleeding from the mouth. And in this one, they kind of show like the the damage to the T Rex. He's like bleeding bleeding from the mouth again. Is that like a common thing where they like a way that they show that the kaiju is injured? Yeah, a lot of it, bleeding from the mouth, especially because you know these suits do get sometimes recycled and reused for new movies and new productions. And so you don't want to do too much damage to them that is lasting. Like, I mean, in this case, um, this Gojasaurus T-Rex, they're blasting holes in them. I mean, like he's got uh, wounds and blood coming out of those too. Cause I, I believe they only intended to use it for this one scene. And so mm-hmm. they were able to do that, but yeah, no, that's the common sort of like, Oh no, Godzilla's injured. He's, he's bleeding from his mouth. And, mm. and that was usually the only sort of, graphic violence that you would see in a Godzilla film up up until any point, really. You never sort of see the actual devastation mm-hmm. that uh, the carnage, I would say, that the Godzilla attack would cause to a certain extent. Yeah, that is our, our insight into our kaiju is injured and we need to worry because they could and die. And when, they, when, they, uh, when, when Major Spielberg and Colonel, Colonel Navy, I'm just going to call him Colonel Navy. Colonel Navy. <laughs> Colonel Navy and Captain and uh, Major Spielberg, when they get a successful hit on Dino Zilla or <coughs> or Proto Zillasaurus, Godzilla Saurus, what do they say, PJ? I'm gonna let you give us I'm gonna let you give us this line, your favorite line in this movie. So I originally wrote this on my, my notes in all caps, and I was like, no, that's not the spirit of the line. <laughs> Take that, you dinosaur. Take that, you dinosaur. Anytime I see, anytime I watch this movie, I know the line is coming. And he, every time, I just die. Take that, (laughs) take that, you dinosaur. (laughs) You know what else that, that, that line does for me? Up until this point, I have some doubts in the back of my mind of like, maybe every time they're saying dinosaur, it's just because I'm watching this movie with subtitles. Maybe like, maybe they're saying something else and they're just, for for me as an American watching it, they're yeah. just explaining it as dinosaur. But once it once it all once it like the museum has these fossils in it, and there there more people are talking about the dinosaur, and they're really distinguishing like no, it was a dinosaur. It it wasn't. Godzilla has a different face, different paws. So paws. the more that they were doing that, but once an American person said in English, which was then subtitled in in uh, in in Japanese, which is fun. Take that, you dinosaur. I was like, no, it is a dinosaur for sure. For sure. And I love it because it's a, it's basically like a Skull Island uh, dinosaur. It's one that has survived past the extinction point and is probably maybe the last of its kind. I don't know. But, uh, but all the more reason why we should just fire all of our biggest weapons at it, right? Of course. And, And then we should not investigate it at all. No, because it looks like that island needs scientists more than American military people, <laughs> is what Major Spielberg and Colonel Navy say as they're leaving. <laughs> Which, uh, PJ, this is the most inaccurate thing that I can think of in this entire movie. <laughs> there is no possible way 
<laughs> that the U.S. military is going to discover something that is that that could potentially be used. Let let me put it this way: it's going to discover a large destructive force that could potentially be used against somebody else. And they're just going to say, you know what? The military has no place on that island. They don't, they don't need American military people there. That's the last thing they need. What they need is advancements in science. I don't buy it, PJ. I no, don't I don't buy- either. I don't buy that. And I don't buy the, no, nah, we've already suffered too many casualties on this island. <laughs> yeah. What do, he's like, we don't need any more sacrifices. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Resume landing um, operations. No, nah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. But any, 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 I don't, I don't understand her motivation at this point. And, and she explains herself later in the movie, but I am very, I'm still a little unclear about why she gets, she gets them to take the body of the dinosaur, yes. but leaves the Dorats there on purpose. Yeah. So, Emmy's a bit of a wild card in this because she's part of this group. And well, what we do find out is when we go back to the future of 1992, Godzilla is gone. Long live King Ghidorah. And King Ghidorah is now terrorizing Japan. Why? Because our future people have control over him. Mm. And how? That was another question. That So through this computer that they have on the ship uh-huh. that M11 controls... Uh-huh. And he basically sort of pilots Ghidorah around and Ghidorah starts attacking. And it seems that the actual motivations of the future people are not to save Japan, but to enslave Japan, to to mm-hmm. take Japan down a peg. Because in the 23rd century, Japan isn't actually destroyed by nuclear radiation. It is the most prosperous nation in the world even Mm. purchasing the continents of South America and Africa in Mm. that time period. And this group is actually a uh, rogue terrorist time-traveling organization bent on taking down Japan. Mm -hmm. And so Emi, a Japanese national, is aiding them in their plan? Or did she not know the full extent of their plan? That's where things get a little confusing. Yeah, they, they, okay, we do find out later that the other two, uh, Wilson and Glenjiko, have kept some information from Emmy. So, because they specifically say at one point, we did not tell you this, but there's a countdown timer that when it goes off, it will automatically transport us away. So we will escape. Ha 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 ha. Um, (laughs) Everything is going exactly to plan. Yeah. So in that moment, I can surmise that like they didn't tell her what would happen if she left the three Dorats back in 1944, or they told her a complete lie of what would happen. They're they're definitely using the fact that she's a ja- she has she's a Japanese national. She loves her country. Yeah. And she wants to save her country. They're using that against her the whole time. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because at this point, then we kind of get our we go from Emmy having a slight heel turn to becoming a face again, mm-hmm. and now she wants to stop King Ghidorah by bringing Godzilla back. And one idea that they have for that is the Teo group is going to. This was dodgy because yes. I was I wrote down, oh wow, in 1991. They had they had the guts to have a plot where Japan is going is is deciding to nuke themselves to save themselves. <laughs> yes, that's dodgy. 
So yes, uh, the our, we we come back. All roads lead to uh, to Shindo, as he is the owner of this corporation, this mega corporation. Mm. Um, yeah, he's I guess the reason why Japan becomes so prosperous in the future, right? It's because yes. his company he's like the Tony Stark of this era. Yeah, and 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 that's actually an interesting plot point uh in in hindsight for this film they have this character major shindo in the past now the head of this corporation who is for what we are put forth for is one of the reasons why japan has actually been able to recover on the global scale following world war ii and at this time period in 1991 japan is actually about to go into a big economic crash following this big period of prosperity. I, I thought it was prescient, I guess, is is what they're talking about in this film and sort of Japan's future and J- Japan's prosperity that at the same time, and, and this is maybe why some of the sort of portrayals of Americans in this film are depicted as such, is this is actually a bit of America's fault as to why Japan is going through this economic crisis. Mm. Um, and it has to do with the devaluing of the yen and also, who knew that we had an idea of exactly what would happen in 2008, outlined us in 1991, in terms of the price of real estate being inflated and being able to loan money to people without the, the proper sort of methods to make sure that people wouldn't get screwed out of their entire savings and their entire home. Mm. Um, right for us here in Japan in 1991. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, just one of those interesting things that you learn about with Japanese media at this time. It, it takes a big shift uh, in the 80s. Japan is producing, you know, animation at a level that we've never seen before. Uh, yeah. Akira. And then that whole industry takes a huge hit. Uh, I mean, in, in 91 going forward, where, you know, you sort of see the, the budgets of the animation start getting declining. There's less experimental art that's coming out at the time. And Godzilla still continues, and the, the the production values of that never seem to suffer from that. But uh, as a country yeah. overall, Japan does actually. It's called the lost decade. Hmm. Yeah, I don't That's know. I just thought it was interesting right? stuff. You can cut all that, but not at all. No, that really because that because the the I'm the majorly. Godzilla is about environmentalism. Like yes. that's always the number one theme going on. But it's, I mean, it, it's that goes hand in hand with its other major theme, which is like anti nuclear disarmament. <laughs> that you know, I just thought of. There's another dodgy moment in the Godzilla King of Monsters movie where uh, Ken Watanabe's character deliberately explain like his. So it, it's it's weird because his father was killed in the first atomic bomb drop or maybe the second one. I forget it was if it was Hiroshima or Nagasaki, but he has like, like a, a coin or something that was in his pockets. He has some souvenir yeah. of his grandfather's or his father's. It's been a while since I've seen those movies, but, but anyway, his father was killed by a nuclear bomb. And at some point he has to go underwater and go into Godzilla's lair. And in order to help Godzilla, he has to blow up a nuclear bomb and sacrifice himself that way. And I am kind of fascinated by that because I talk, weirdly, I talk about this a lot. Uh, Somehow it comes up a lot, the Fukushima reactor meltdown. Yes. And the fact that when that happened, the elderly in Japan, the elderly population volunteered themselves to be part of the cleanup efforts 
because they knew that anybody that, that goes to respond to this is going to be exposed to deadly amounts of radiation and it's gonna shorten their lifespan. So for the future of their entire society, a large population of elderly volunteered to, to do this cleanup effort. And I just, I always think about that because I'm like, I'm an American and I'm, pr- I guess I'm proud to be an American, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a veteran, but I can't imagine America responding that way to a nuclear meltdown. No, it's, it was very sobering to hear that because I, the immediate thing I thought was, wow, I know my dad probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, just even specifically like me personally, knowing that it it takes a level of selflessness and and forward thinking even to to, mm-hmm. to have that thought and as a as a community, as a as a nation, for that to be the sort of guiding factor of the future. And and Godzilla does, as you said, is a allegory for nuclear war, nuclear waste, nuclear accidents. No better seen than in uh, the 2016 film Shin Godzilla or uh, Godzilla Resurgence, uh, which is actually a direct response to Fukushima. And while the older people of Japan that went to go participate in that cleanup were a sterling example of the Japanese people and that the government itself was kind of looked down on for their response and the ways that they would respond to this event. And that is actually very much satired in Godzilla Resurgence. Interesting. Yeah. I guess guess they go into how... I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what the future people in this movie want. Like what they, they, they they give the government a computer that seems to simulate predictions um, of events. Yeah. And I guess they put a false simulation into it that, that convinces them that like, this is, this is how Japan's going to be destroyed. So you have to, they trick them basically into, into using when I mentioned like the Taiyo group are the ones that have the nuclear bomb. It is commented on in the movie that it's not the government. It's not the military um, that has this weapon because uh, after world war two, Japan did like disarm all of their, they, they, discontinued all nuclear weapons programs. And that can, that's still true to this day. So in fact, fact you you cannot even have nuclear weapons on Japanese soil. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I guess this company circumvents that by putting it in a submarine and just keeping the submarine out in the ocean and not, (laughs) but actually I can speak to that a little bit because I was in the Navy. I was on a nuclear, nuclear powered submarine and we couldn't even, there were certain harbors we weren't even allowed to dock in uh, because we just could not be, they just didn't want the the new, the ship with its nuclear reactor leaking radiation into the harbor, which is understandable. Yeah. But, uh, but even just having it in proximity to, to land, there were only certain ports that we could or could not pull into. So that's not something I'm judging at all. I think it's actually good precautions for any, any nation. Yeah. No, it's, it's wild in this film though, that there is a corporation <laughs> With nuclear capabilities, yeah, and 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 that's you know, some RoboCop shit. It's it's very RoboCop, very cyberpunky, where it's like you know a, a, a feature in in some cyberpunky uh, media is mega corporations and the levels of which they control things, and you know, kind yep. of supplanting states and, and nations at that point. And so this is very, you know, it's like, oh, yes, the, the, the Taito Corporation has a nuclear sub and it, 
wait, is it Taito? What's the, I? Ugh. Tayo. 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 Tayo is a video game company. Um, <laughs> the the Tayo Corporation has a nuclear sub, and although they do say it's not actual nuclear weapons, it's nuclear waste that mm-hmm. they they have in, uh, in missiles for some reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty bombs is Dirty what they bombs, have. Yes. Dirty bombs. Yeah. And the uh, the future people, I, I, I forgot about this, but they call themselves the equal environmentalists of Earth. Yes. And they are very quick to judge any uh, culture or society that is the, like nuclear obsessed. And one of, we talked a little bit about M11, Android M11, but I yes. want to, I want to get into <laughs> a couple of things that we see this android doing because this is robots versus dinosaurs. And we've talked a lot about the dinosaurs in this movie. Uh, We haven't talked much about the robots. So M11 is, we talked about who played him, Robert Scott Field, who was a baseball player turned actor. The first introduction, I'm trying to find it in my notes, but there's a moment where something is happening to the time travel ship and M11, oh, it's when they, okay. When the time travel ship first gets to the island of Lagos and there's they're, they're in the middle of the battle and there's yes. all of these bombs exploding and everything. And, and inside of the ship, I think Emikano says like, oh, don't worry, they can't penetrate our 20th century weapons, can't possibly harm this vehicle. Um, but somebody has to go outside to check on something. So they send M11 out and it, it gave me real strong, like, R2-D2 vibes. <laughs> like, anytime R2-D2 has to be out on the hull of the ship, like, repairing right, while laser blasts are just barely missing him. And he does this, this special effects fast run that looks really cool. Where he, it almost looks like he's floating. Yes, power walking uh, through history. <laughs> that's the question of later on when he's chasing our heroes in a car. Why is he in a car when he can outrun cars? And why, when he's driving the car, does he use his turn signal? Did you notice that he follows all the traffic laws and uses his turn signal? <laughs> he is orderly and efficient, but he... <laughs> it's that CD-ROM drive brain. It is. And, and that, that didn't get... You know, it's, it's funny. I guess they've really perfected anti-skipping technology in right? the 23rd century for him to survive a car accident and not have anything go wrong with his uh, ability to uh, continue operations. Listeners, if you didn't watch this movie, M11's head is a jukebox. Yeah. Uh, it, it has... <laughs> It's a normal-sized head. It, yes. I know you're picturing a jukebox on human <laughs> shoulders. It's a nor- he's, He is an android, right? We, we agree on that. I, yes. I, I usually ask my guests like, to distinguish android, but we've done that with the Transformers movie, and I think we both agree. This is an android, correct? Correct. It is an artificial life form presenting as human, and by all intents and purposes could be believed to be human until you probably had a conversation with him. But... Uh, right. Had a you conversation know. or pressed the button on the back of his head <laughs> that makes his CD-ROM drive pop out, which has like a, it's like a six disc changer. Yes, so. his, his multi-disc changer comes out of his head. <laughs> um, and and uh, Emmy is able to just swap out one of the discs and now she can control M11 and he's not, he's not controlled by her, her uh, duplicitous co-conspirators. Yes. Cause up until this point, M11 has been an agent for uh, Wilson and Glenn Chico. And uh, we even get a uh, Terminator 2-style chase 
in this mm-hmm. film, which, and again, interesting. I, I don't know the production timeline for this film. And, and so I don't know if somebody watched Terminator 2 and was like, oh, we need this in our film because I believe Terminator 2 is 1991. It's 1991. It's, uh, yeah, they must've been in production at the same time. Yeah, because, you know, he, he, he survives this car accident. He comes out, he's burned up, and he's got robo parts showing. Yeah. And then he fast chases after this car like a T-1000 and catches up and, and, and takes Emmy and, back. And, yeah, and then they kind of just cut to Emmy, like, being on the ship, working on a computer, unsupervised. So I was like, did, is, she, is she their prisoner now, or did, did they just want to recover her? They trust her to just go back to work. I guess in the 23rd century, once you're caught in the act, you just go back to being a good little eco-terrorist and, good, and you know, don't, uh, don't, don't subvert anything anymore going forward. I mean, <laughs> she's left with full access to M11. And, you know, it's, I will say it is is a little bit of a a conundrum um, as to why they still trust Emmy after that. But uh, we do get a reboot of M11. He does now serve the interests of our protagonists. Mm -hmm. Um, Now he's Emmy 11. Yes. Ah. See what I did there? (laughs) <laughs> that's two that's two bad emma puns and i'm not going to promise that i don't have a third one. Ooh, comedy comes <laughs> in threes <laughs> but yeah now m11 it works for emmy but also kind of has a personality he's yes. when he's taking out other androids he's kind of like he's smiling he's using deception uh he's like saying little catchphrases which also kylo ren does kylo ren seems to be a big uh like american cinema fan and yes. says like lines whenever he throws somebody so, so, something or shoots somebody. Um, Blows up a supercomputer. Do you know? Do you remember any of them? Uh, make my day. That's what it was. <laughs> yep. Dirty Harry. Yes. Even when he blows up the supercomputer <laughs> that controls uh, King Ghidorah. But we're actually <laughs> getting a little bit ahead of ourselves on one thing. What's that? Godzilla hasn't actually shown up in this movie. And we're already almost an hour into it. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, yeah. Godzilla seems to be like um, talked about a lot in Godzilla movies. And like they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the King, like King Kong thing where like it's all leading up to this big reveal. Your main event. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's a, an issue I've seen where people um, will critique a Godzilla film and say like, oh, you know, there wasn't enough Godzilla in it. And I'm like, how many Godzilla films have you watched? Uh, yeah, because also, did you see the Dorats? They were adorable. Exactly. <laughs> we don't, why do we need Godzilla? When <laughs> three flying bat Joker face creatures. Yeah, Godzilla is the big star of this film. And if you're constantly bombarded by Godzilla for two-ish hours, he can get a little tiresome, I feel. Kind of much in the way that, you know, it's, it's like, you know... Uh, you have to have buildup. You have to have reveal. You have to have tension. And Godzilla is already being laid out as he is the biggest threat to Japan and the future. Mm. And so we don't see him for a while because in the previous film, he's massively injured and weakened. And he doesn't show up until the second half of this movie almost. 
Yeah. And and I like the buildup. I like that because especially and 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 this is another little bit of a tricky convoluted part because Godzilla is somehow already back but isn't and so right. like from from what they've determined it's predestiny that Godzilla exists no matter what and he is still alive in the Bering Sea and this is something I didn't bring up and, and I don't know if they kind of hammered it home in this one but Miki Sagusa the part of the G team the Godzilla team is a psychic and she has a connection to Godzilla. Okay. And so she can sense Godzilla. Oh, and that's right. She gets like flashes, premonitions. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so she senses Godzilla and she's like, Godzilla is still here. He, he's alive. And they're like, nah, you, you're possibly probably just picking up that dinosaur at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Turns out that dinosaur still got irradiated somehow by a sunken sub. And then when they send their sub to power up Godzilla from the, from the corporation, he is already there. And, and so he, he attacks it, it right? and he, he eats, eats it. the sub, right? And now Godzilla is bigger and stronger than ever. And evil now. Like yes. because of the new radiation because it's more advanced nuclear energy. They talk about how it's like in the 40s they had or the 50s they had their their 50s technology yeah. radi- uh nuclear 50s nuclear technology. <laughs> but now with 40 years of technological advancements they have they, 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 it's unpredictable results on Godzilla. And one of those results is now he's kind of evil. Now he's the bad guy. Yeah. The bad kaiju. And so he does show up to fight King Ghidorah. Our, Mm -hmm. our group blows up the supercomputer and Godzilla puts a stomp on King Ghidorah, takes his head off and everything. Mm. And then what happens? Well, (laughs) they decide to turn King, as you do, they decide to turn King Ghidorah into a cyborg. Yes. Because, because Godzilla decides to go back and attack Japan again. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, he he attacks like specific cities, and they're talking about like the cities yeah. falling one by one, and how you know what what's this going to do to our economy, and how will we how will we survive, and and like talking about like can we sacrifice certain areas in order to save the rest? Like they're really going into crisis mode, responding to this Godzilla attack. And Major Shindo, however seems to seems to believe that that he could still communicate with the beast in some way and it almost looks like it's going to work yeah he uh he still believes in this dinosaur that saved him and his men's life in in world war 2 mm-hmm. he, he but he also now sees that this dinosaur that he believes is his savior is also now the destroyer of everything he He's very, very, he takes it very personal. Everything that he did to build Japan is being now destroyed by this dinosaur that saved his life. He, you know, much to his, his folly, he's like, I'm not leaving my, my building. I'm staying here uh, when Japan is going to be attacked by Godzilla. I did have one question for you, actually, Lou, before we jump into some of this endgame stuff here. Mm -hmm. What kind of person stands and fights against Godzilla? So, so far, Millie Bobby Brown, <laughs> uh, I've seen her do it. Yeah. But her mom had some sort of orca machine, or I think they called it, where it like made a sonic signal frequency that attracts the kaiju. And I think she had that. So she got Z- Godzilla to be her friend and protect her. Who else? We've got Quicksilver, right? Wasn't he in, in, the, in the Gareth Edwards Godzilla yes. movie? And 
I forget how he does, but I think he makes it to the end of the movie. Yeah. Okay. So people that just like, cause Kong is, is a similar thing. Like there are yeah. people that just stand up to Kong. Like they're going to do something about it. Like, like uh, Samuel Jackson in Skull Island. It's hubris. In this case though, with Major Shindo, the hubris is also like a foolish belief in, in that there's still some good in Godzilla, which you yeah. might be right. There might still be some, but not enough to get him to just make eye contact with you and be able to be like, hey, remember me from 50 years ago? We're friends still, right? It's like, no, I do remember you. I recognize you, but I can't yeah. do a Godzilla scream. <laughs> you just blast the tap. What do you think of people that stand up to the, the, the Davids against the Goliath of Godzilla? Yeah, it, it's one of those things that like I didn't think about as a kid. But as an adult watching a movie and, and you know, you, you see the army kind of roll out to fight a futile battle against a Godzilla. You know, I, I, I like, I've tried to put my mindset into somebody who's like, OK, I'm going to go drive this laser tank now and uh-huh. I'm going to fight Godzilla knowing full well I'm probably not going to make it out of this. Yeah, if you're talking about the dudes in the laser tanks when they're surrounding Godzilla, if I'm in one of those tanks, I'm like, this is a coordinated effort. We're going to try this. This might work. And I got to believe I got to like I got to do my part and I can't back down. So if we're all like firing at it from different angles and Godzilla starts stomping towards me, I got to just keep firing. Right. Like that's kind of the mission there. But you do, I, I will say you do see some of the tanks like actually backing up yeah. and continuing to fire. But yeah, it's the people, it's that henchman that's like, they just saw Thor or, you know, whoever, like Jackie Chan drop 20 dudes. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to try it. I've All I have is this <laughs> knife, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to run in there and try it anyway. Where, whereas, and I'll say this, I think the first movie I've ever watched, what seemed to be like an organized fight with tactics against a kaiju was Skull Island, where you saw Mm -hmm. an elite, you know, air cavalry unit using the best of the best, their tactics, their technology at the time and everything, and they still couldn't do a damn thing. Yep. And I I thought that was a very interesting sort of portrayal of that in, in how a fight against a kaiju could be realistically portrayed as opposed to sort of like the limitations of what we have in, in a Godzilla film from 1991, where we have our animatronics that roll around and shoot at things and get destroyed. But then on the flip side, like what, what we're talking about with Shindo is like, you know, how, how, how do you stare in the face of a creature that's taller than the biggest buildings that Japan has, has, has built mm-hmm. and still kind of be like, I'm going to, I'm going to try and reason with this thing. <laughs> And and it and it's they have this like stare down and there's a lot of nodding and Godzilla mm-hmm. like even seems to reminisce and, and and close his eyes. Yeah. And then they, they have like one final like, you know what you have to do, right? And Godzilla's like, I do. But I don't know if I have the strength. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Help me. Help me, Major Shinda. <laughs> And then, and then Chewbacca shoots Godzilla. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's intense. Uh, no, yeah, Godzilla just blasts the tower that Shindo is in and and kills him. Yeah, I definitely see Shindo's thought process in his eyes. I yeah. see like the flashback to him saluting with his whole garrison, and and they're like, "Thank you for helping us. We wish that we could could help you. There's nothing we can really do for you though, but we are are thinking of you." 
thoughts and prayers and honoring this this great savior dinosaur. So I see that thought process in Shindo that he's like, I am, this is my last gambit. This is the last thing I can try. And if I die, I die, at least I die trying this. I don't, I do sort of see Godzilla's thought process, but I don't, I, I guess like you, I don't see the point at which he changes his mind and is like, yeah, no, I do have to kill this guy. I do have to blast this 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 particular skyscraper. Yeah, it, it's I, I, in my mind that scene is like five seconds, but it, it's actually played out for a little bit of time. I think it's supposed to give you some hope. Yeah, I, I do feel like there, there was that moment where you're supposed to be like, is, is Godzilla gonna have a change of heart, turn around, head back out to sea? Mm. Nope. Godzilla yeah. is, and in this, especially in the Heisei film series, is a force of nature, a force of destruction. You can't reason with a hurricane. You can't reason yeah. with a tornado. That's what it is. It's a force of nature. It's something I noticed in the Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla that sort of happens in this movie, too, is Godzilla at some point gets his ass kicked, has to sort of retreat somewhere and power up. Usually the other monster, it gets damaged in some way and has to power up. In both cases, the two movies that I've, that like listeners, if you're following our podcast feed, the two Godzilla movies so far, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. The Mechagodzilla was controlled by these aliens that had a ship. And when they needed it to like upgrade to fight a stronger Godzilla, they did like the Rita Repulsa, like make my monster grow and like gave it more power. In this movie, they literally churn, uh, because Ghidorah's missing one of its heads, they give it a, ro- a, a robot head and turn the rest of it into a cyborg with metal armor and other cybernetic parts. And it's it's the very, like... So I guess what I'm asking is, like, with, with Godzilla, is, is nature his Rita Repulsa? Because it's like, he gets blasted by lightning, and then he's like, Bruh, or he gets, you know... Some kind of natural thing like happens to him. Like like the earth itself is like Godzilla, we must power you up to protect us. It's 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 interesting that that is the formula in a lot of the Godzilla films, especially when in the latter half of the Showa era and in the Heisei era, even in his first return, there's a moment where he's almost killed and then he's revived by an, a nuclear burst that happens in space. And the radiation in the in the air and the sky and the world revives him and he comes back. And Godzilla just seems to be an energy sponge. When all else fails, it will find a source of mm. of, of energy to pull from and and get powered back up, much in the way of uh, you know, Godzilla works almost like a nuclear reactor in that sense, and that you know, fuel mm. gives it the power to keep moving. That is something even gets touched on in latter Heisei films is to um, Godzilla as a, a walking nuclear disaster. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about, yeah. let's talk about the matchup itself. We've mm. got, uh, we've got Godzilla versus first King Ghidorah, which he wins that fight. Handedly. And, but then we get cyborg. They don't actually, they don't say a different name really for when, when they don't call it Mecha Ghidorah. They don't call it Cyborg Ghidorah. Cyborgadora. Cyborgadora. Uh, <laughs> but that is what I'm calling it from now on. So Cyborgadora um, is, uh, or Cyborg Zero, um, has armor, has a metal head. It, it, come, it has this new action figure feature, a Godzilla grip and yes. machine hand. <laughs> and it's piloted too. Yes. Is that better though? 
I mean, you don't have it flying around and just destroying things on its own. It, it's a targeted sort of thing. I think, you know, you turn your your enemy into a weapon and then you fight your other enemy with that weapon. But weren't they case. controlling it before it was a cyborg? Weren't they remotely? Well, the, the bad do? guys were, yes. And But it was still... Oh, so now Emmy has... Okay, yes. Yeah, Emmy doesn't have access to that computer. Exactly. But she does have R2M11 in the cockpit <laughs> with her. <laughs> Very important. Yeah, M11, we, M11 becomes a big hero in this movie. Yeah. They hook his little disc tray up to the uh, the cockpit, and he's uh, now a, uh, a helper and a controller for Mecha King Ghidorah. And I like this sequence. I like that they let that they have Emmy doing this, and she's piloting. I really do like she's the kaiju pilot or the what do they call it? The Jaeger, the Jaeger pilot, yeah. like in Pacific Rim. Uh, so, so Cyborg Adora, they definitely refer to as a cyborg. I would argue for sure it's cyborg, but it is also a mech suit. It's another yes. like classification of thing. So how much at this point when she's inside of it, how much of it, how much of Ghidorah is its organic creature self? Like here, here's what I'm trying to ask in the, in the King of Monsters, like 2019 Godzilla movie, mm-hmm. he fights Ghidorah and they kind of give Ghidorah a little bit of, like, each of the heads kind of has a personality almost. They seem to, like, snap at each other or, like, have interactions with each other. I think at one point, one of them eats one of the heads. Like, one head eats another. I might be misremembering that. But... Don't remember that, my, yeah. My question is, in this movie, why why does the why do the two Ghidorah heads accept this third metal Ghidorah head as, like, one of them? as part of them. They don't, I mean, uh, I mean, in, 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 in good, uh, inverted quotes, science fiction, don't explain it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they, they, it's just kind of assumed that the way, the way I've made sense of it is they've already demonstrated that they can control Ghidorah. So that's a similar fashion where they are in control of Ghidorah, but they've had to outfit it with, a new head because it's missing one. They give it new wings. Uh, the torso is beefed up with mecha, mecha parts. Uh, it, it's more machine than man now. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely like it, 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 it's, I love Mecha King Ghidorah. It's a cool design. Yeah. It, it, I also just love that it comes tearing back into the past through a rip in time. And, <laughs> and everyone, apparently time is, it moves at the same pace, no matter where you are in a timeline. Sure. So the work that they had to do in this, in this movie to get Mecha King Ghidorah ready is actually <laughs> taken into account in the movie because it doesn't just, they don't travel back in time and they're like, okay, we're going to go do this. And then they just immediately show back up. <laughs> well, is it the Marty McFly thing where they're like, we only have a certain amount of time before uh, the picture of us fades away because Godzilla has stomped too much of the city and we don't have hands to continue building <laughs> the thing. So like, like Marty, like losing his hand and he can't strum the guitar anymore. So they're like, we got to finish this before our hands fade away. Yeah, that could be it. I mean, it could be that Emmy's sitting in the sub starting to phase out mm-hmm. and she's like, Hey, we got to work on this fast. <laughs> we got to send Cyber Ghidorah back through that wormhole now, but he shows up. <laughs> uh, Godzilla has this, this, if Godzilla was a WWE wrestler, We'd have to we'd have to come up with a name for this move, and I'm I guess my question to you is: it, Does this move have a name? Where he's fighting the monster, at some point he it, it starts to churn away or try to run away, and he grabs the tail, 
lifts it up in the air kind of slowly. It almost floats magically. And <laughs> you can sometimes <laughs> see the wires and then like slams it down. And then he yeah. picks it up again, slams it down by always by the tail. Um, does that move have a name? I, it may have an official name. I know. Cause it is, there's another move that Godzilla does in other movies where he does a drop kick sliding on his tail. Um, yes. But I, I would call this the tail slam or, or maybe um, uh, like the, the G masher or something like that, where, you know, it's basically, it's, it's not quite a power bomb, but there's definitely elements of, of wrestling to this, like a big swing almost if he picked it up and swung it around by the tail even, but in this case, he's just slamming it into the ground. Yeah. It's a good move. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's an awesome move. I mean, uh, Ghidorah uh, in the first fight even puts a chokehold on Godzilla at one point. Get a nice mm. big froth going on. Godzilla is also tactical. He he knows to take out Ghidorah's wings almost yeah. immediately. Like whenever he's blasting his his uh, what do you call that? Atomic breath. Atomic breath, radiation breath. Uh, you know, Godzilla laser. Um, okay. Yeah. It, it, it atomic breath though is the sort of catch all for that one okay yeah he's always um always trying to take out the wings first trying to disable and i think at some point he sort of figures out that emmy or something is is in the like where the control panel is or where the control unit is and he starts targeting that because she gets blasted repeatedly once it starts she just gets bombarded over and over um so it seems like he's starting to he's like figured that out and he's like targeting it almost yeah Uh, so Godzilla is not just a big dumb animal fighting. It's like tactical. It has moves that it pulls out. It it saves up its energy for its big finishers. Like it's pretty cool to watch to watch the choreography of these fights and know that a lot of thought actually went into it. Absolutely. It it, it has care, it has crafting. You know, a lot of people would discount some of the efforts that they go to in this because it's it's a guy in a suit. You know, they think back to lower budget titles or uh, television programs or even 50s horror sci-fi in, in the United States of guys in suits that kind of look cheap. Uh, there's a lot of care and and thoughtfulness and direction to these films, um, especially at this point in in the Godzilla sort of creative timeline as opposed mm-hmm. to just this era, you know, this era, this era specifically does a lot to advance some of those techniques even and and thoughtfully compose the way Godzilla has these fights. There's a good structure to them. There's a good ebb and flow. Um, it does follow wrestling logic where, you know, the heel will have uh, the upper hand on Godzilla and then Godzilla will make a comeback or Godzilla will come up with a, a new technique to defeat his foe or, you know, like you said, nature gives a hand or even at times man has given a hand, uh, humankind has given a hand, I should say, by powering him up through radiation like the sub or, you know, just lightning, lightning, even. yeah, lightning. lightning, which it's, it's just, it's so interesting how, like, th- there's a reason I'm a fan of this stuff. I mean, I'm a fan of it because it's batshit insane, but I'm also like, a- a- and as a kid, I, you know, for, it, it, for me, it's, it's a timeline of as a kid, cool dinosaur, love it. Godzilla fights other things. It's awesome. Yep. As a teenager, I appreciate some of the story stuff more. And as an adult, really focusing in on some of the, the techniques that go into making these films, 
and also uh, loving uh, throughout all times, the batshit stories that are in these things. Yeah. The batshit stuff is the stuff I think I appreciate the most. <laughs> I have, I had way more fun watching this movie than I did the past, the most, the two most recent Godzilla movies. I, what do we call that? What do we call the, Do we call those the Gareth Edwards Godzilla movies or what? Like what's the shorthand? So, um, Wikizilla uh, would list that as the monster verse. Okay. Um, okay. That, cause that, it's a sort of a, that's a, a, uh, a series of films being produced by legendary and Warner brothers that kind of encapsulate a few things. So skull Island is a part of that. And then the only other films really are Godzilla from 2014 and then King of the monsters from 2019. And now uh, Godzilla versus Kong from 2021. GVK, Dawn of Monster Justice. <laughs> the, there, yeah. <laughs> Why did you say that name? Uh, there's there's a lot that I think they're doing right, and 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 they look fantastic. But I have to say, and I you know I probably will. We probably Robots vs Dinosaurs probably will review each of those movies at some point in the future. We're, we are definitely going to just a little teaser. PJ and our other mutual friend Conrado are going to be doing a big episode on GVK very soon. But the other the other two MonsterVerse movies or I guess if you count Skull Island, the other the uh, the rest of the MonsterVerse movies. Yeah. will probably come onto the show at some point. So I'll have more thoughts then, but I want I just want to say I'm having more fun watching Godzilla versus King Ghidorah like while I'm watching it, I'm just having more fun because of the batshit insane stuff, because of the things where it's hand wavy and we were trying to figure out like, well, how do they get from this scene to the next scene? It doesn't really matter. They got there and that's what matters. Yes. <laughs> and then that's, that's the thing. Like I, I, on, on this show, I've brought up some of the, the plot stuff that are kind of, you know, like head scratcher things. But what I always feel with a Godzilla film is you're here for the ride. You know, you're here for how absurd sometimes they can get uh, with the sci-fi premises. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, just to give you an idea in this era of films, we have Godzilla fight a space Godzilla at some point. Oh. So it continues in terms of what level of, of crazy we're going to get. And okay. A space Godzilla <laughs> as in it's an alien from space or it was built by space aliens like Mecha Godzilla. Or all of the above? Does um, it fit into multiple categories? It, it fits into multiple categories. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 I would say it's a similar sort of force of nature kind of thing. But I, I don't want yeah. to delve into too much in case you ever want to sit down and watch that one. But I, I probably will. I'm, yeah. I, <laughs> I, the, for, the format of this show is I watch whatever movie the co-host picks. Yeah. And I'm trying to encourage more Godzilla picks because of how much fun it is to, to watch these old ones and how bonkers they are. And it's a fun discovery. It, especially in, in, I'm biased because Heisei is my favorite era. Each movie is connected. And so you have seven movies starting in 84 to 95 mm -hmm. that have a continuity between them from beginning to end. And we have recurring characters and the technology is so fun. The, the sort of the energy of it is wonderful to me. And I, and I do recommend if, if you're, if you're looking to, if you're looking to start somewhere and has like a linear story going for it to a certain extent, I would start with the Heisei era. Definitely watch the original Godzilla as well at some point, because it is connected to this. But 
it's it's a fun ride and then from there you've kind of primed to explore the older films a bit more that have a little bit loose looser connection to them because they they don't sort of can they don't the first three films are connected but then after that it kind of goes out the window Hmm. and uh you know the only one having a direct sequel at that point would be terror of mega godzilla um okay there's another era of films that come after this one the millennium era which are all sort of standalone movies huh. um, with the exception of that versions of Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla does have a sequel. Well, I, I want to watch the craziest ones. Oh That's, boy. <laughs> so I think let's like, at some point let's like yeah. curate a list okay. of like the craziest Godzilla movies. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll try to check them all off one by one. I, I can, I, I can make that my homework. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a I have a good term for because uh, like I'm, I've been tra- you know, like the movies that I talk about on the show are always um, this is the word I'm always searching for like they're always insane or like bonkers or bananas and those words are used a lot. I have a new word I, I ba- based on uh, we called the we we use the term bat shit a couple of yeah. times Dorat shit. Dorat shit. I love this it. This is a Dorat shit movie. <laughs> In the best way. And it, it one definitely of the most, is. One of the most Dorat shit things, the last thing that I have to say about Godzilla versus King Ghidorah before we move on to the bonus section ah. is is one Dorat shit thing hap- that happens in this movie that happens in a lot of sci-fi movies from pre-2000s that involve robots. And it's a robot, in this case an Android, M11, needs to interface with a computer. How do they interface with that computer? PJ, do they plug in some sort of USB drive? Are they like R2-D2 where they have a sonic screwdriver that comes out of a port and plugs into anything, and then they can talk that thing, that computer's language? Or... Do they do the same exact thing that a human does and type on a keyboard to <laughs> interface with a computer? <laughs> yes, the height of technology still uses a keyboard. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. And and now that I've mentioned that, I want you to start noticing in sci-fi movies, anytime a character that is a computer or has a computer jukebox CD-ROM brain sitting at a computer typing and ask yourself, why is it typing? How is that the most efficient way for it to put input commands <laughs> into this other computer? I, yeah, yeah, these are I'm, the things I, that keep me up at night. You just, like Bishop from Aliens, I, I just remembered even that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're telling me that he can't like pop off his finger and like his fingertip is actually a USB drive or something. Like, come on. Uh, anyway... Do you have any last thoughts about, about 1991's Godzilla versus King Ghidorah before we move on to our bonus section? Yeah, there's a, there's an interesting moment in the film just before Godzilla is going to attack Tokyo. They show you uh, there's a truck driving through with a loudspeaker on it saying, warning, warning, you know, evacuate Tokyo. Godzilla will be here tomorrow mm. or is on the way. The government and, is asking you to please evacuate yeah. the city. Yeah, I, yeah. I loved that. And they show a reporter run by with a cameraman. And he, he you know, he's like, what are we still doing here? He goes, I'm going to be Japan's Peter Arnett. 
uh, I have to go where the action is. And I was like, that's definitely a reference to something. And it turns out they're referencing a very recent event in time. They're referencing 1991's Gulf War. And Peter Arnett, along with his colleagues, Bernard Shaw and John Holloman, were reporting live from Baghdad in a hotel the night of the first U.S. bombing raids of the Gulf War, which notably aired on CNN 30 minutes before official word came down that America was uh, engaging in combat. Hmm. And, and so I thought that was interesting that they were taking that moment of this reporter and being like, oh, I have to cover this because that's what, you know, the big people would be doing. They would be in, they would be at the heart of this. And the guy dies in the movie because of this. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it was just something that I was like, wow, what an interesting sort of quick little thing to put in there. Right. The that's the character period. that's like in a hotel room later. And his friend is like, we got to go. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh, wow. I lost track of that character until you just mentioned it just now. Yeah. I picked it up this time on my, my first viewing. And then I looked into it on the second viewing I did for today. And I was, you know, it's just, like I said, I learned, I've watched these movies so many times and I'm always kind of finding new little things that I, I dig into on them. Isn't that so, God, I can't believe I'm referencing this again, but we are talking Godzilla. The 1998 Matthew Broderick, uh, or the, sorry, the Gene Reno, Hank Azaria <laughs> Godzilla. <laughs> um, isn't, isn't one of the character one of the main characters a reporter or something? And like, isn't yeah. that a, a, a recurring thing is that they're like trying to get a shot with their camera and somebody's like, no, we got to go. Yeah. Hank Azaria is the cameraman animal. Right. Um, animal. Animal is his name, right? Yeah. That's his nickname. And, Why and do I remember that? Harry Shear from The Simpsons is like a, the, the network guy who's a, a bit of a scum. Okay. Um, and I've, I'm, uh, give me a second. And it's Matthew Broderick. I forget what he does. I, I cannot He's a scientist who studies he report, the Chernobyl uh, earthworm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he's studying earthworms. <laughs> That's right. Um, specifically irradiated earthworms, which is why he is brought in to New York to be there for this irradiated iguana. And uh, there's another cast member. Is it Audrey? Sorry, I just I wanted to make sure I got it right. Audrey is the uh, another character in the 1998 Godzilla, and she's a reporter as well. And ah. so that's why she's she's trying to get this big scoop on Godzilla because she's trying to advance more at the network as well. Well, that is a Dorette shit movie in a bad way. And maybe we'll talk about it uh, in the future sometime. <laughs> but Oh, I'd love to. Um. <laughs> I have got three bonus questions. Yes. One of which I actually meant to ask at the top, but I forgot. So I'm going to ask it now. Okay. Uh, PJ. Yes. What is one cool fact that you know about this movie that I don't know? And also one cool fact about this movie that you just made up right now. And I want you to tell me both facts and I have to guess which one is real and which one is the one you just made up on the spot. Okay. So the technology used to create the 3D rendering images in the movie was lent to Toho by Lucasfilm. Okay. And featured in the film is the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building. And it was also the first time this building had been featured in a film as it had just previously been built and was destroyed on screen for the first time as well. Both of those facts sound real. The one I'm leaning towards is the Lucasfilm one because 
Lucasfilm, this came out in 91. There's a reference to Spielberg in, in Jurassic Park. Lex, Lex Hammond is a, I get Murphy is her last name. Actually, Lex Murphy is a, a, a hacker. And at some point she gets very excited because they get in the cars and there's an interactive CD-ROM. Uh, you touch the screen and, <laughs> and it tells you information. And this movie has an interactive CD-ROM in the form of M11. So for all of those reasons, I'm going to say that the Lucasfilm fact, the fact that they used Lu- Lucasfilm lent, lent their technology for those CG renderings is the true fact. It's the Metropolitan Government Building. Yeah, you deceived me. <laughs> yeah, no, I've actually been to that building. Uh, it has an observation yeah. deck on top and... Uh, it's, it's, it was neat for me to actually be in a destroyed environment for a Godzilla film. That, that is cool. That would yeah. be cool. Nice. All right, PJ, my yes. next bonus question. If we were to replace any two characters in Godzilla versus King Ghidra with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, who would you replace and how would it improve the film? Okay. So the three Durats or Durats are played by... Danny DeVito. Obviously. Um, they're initially just three small Danny DeVitos. Mm-hmm. And then when it forms into King Ghidorah, it's larger, more grotesque Danny DeVito heads. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% um, correct. And for Whoopi Goldberg, I, I'd given this a lot of thought. And I think she would do a real good turn at playing Godzilla. Ooh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think she could bring some energy to Godzilla that's been missing. You know, just a little bit more panache. All right. Awesome. I usually, whenever I do this mental exercise, uh, I usually make, I usually replace the protagonist with Whoopi. And <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to see Whoopi as this Kylo Ren character. Especially, ah, Yes especially for the bit where like she finds out that she has a book that was published in the future and all of the fun there. Cause there's some like subtle digs every once in a while about like, was it a bestseller? Yeah. And then Emmy is just kind of like, mm, <laughs> not that I am aware of. <laughs> um, so I think, I think Whoopi would have a lot of fun with that. Um, and inject the, 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 I liked, uh, I liked Kasuke Tayahara's performance I thought he was fun and funny and very, very, very good looking. But, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm always going to have an easy time replacing Whoopi with the protagonist <laughs> and just seeing what that does to the movie. Uh, I can't, I have no counter argument to your DeVito thing. I can't even come up with a <laughs> to that. That's perfect. Maybe he could De- play Shindo. <laughs> Danny Durat DeVito. De- DeVito, Dan- yeah, it's there somewhere in the ether. Danny um, Dorado. Danny Dorado, that's what it is. There it is. <laughs> we found it. Uh, <laughs> PJ, this is my third bonus question, and it's also a section of the podcast that we call What's Your Snack? PJ, what's your snack? I have asked you this question before. We talked about it during the, the 1986 Transformers episode. Listeners, if you have not listened to that episode, Go back and check your podcast feed. It's one of our earliest episodes. Uh, so um, if I didn't already say this, thank you again for coming back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Bringing yet another movie that has both robots and dinosaurs and robotic dinosaurs <laughs> in it. Okay, so I, I, I guess I want to know, Has um, we haven't been able to go back to movie theaters, so that part of the question has not changed so far. 
But uh, I guess what snack did you eat during this movie? And is it any different from your, your previous snack? So uh, last time I discussed my love of popcorn, it's still near and dear to my heart. I definitely ate a good deal of uh, some bag popcorn while watching the first run. But on the second watch, I heated up some leftover Chinese food and enjoyed that while watching the movie. And uh, as of late, uh, my fiance and I have been uh, making a point to have like a meal with a movie so that mm. it feels like a bit more of a experience than just sort of sitting down on the couch and watching something. I love that. I love that. I, I, I plan a lot of my meals around movies so that I can sort of multitask, but I do like that making it an event, making it a, a night, make a night of it, dinner and a movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I had a big, uh, a big burger while I was <laughs> watching this movie, which felt appropriate. That's, that's a, this is a burger of a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is this movie a plus one, neutral, or minus one for, it will have to do each, dinosaurs and robots. We might have to add a yeah. third category of specifically dino robots, dino bots, because they also appear in here. But let's just keep it to the two. Dinosaurs sure. and robots, plus one, neutral, minus one. Go ahead, PJ. Okay, so I, I, I did think about this a lot because it's complicated. I mm. would say this is a... Minus one across the board for everybody. <gasps> like, I I mean, like, I love this film, but dinosaurs get a bad rap. Sure, they're a savior at the beginning of the film, but at the end of the film, they're the villain again. Mm. And I think, you know, it's it's Godzilla as a dinosaur is confirmed. So maybe that is a plus one. But... Mm. Godzilla as a force of nature is a minus one for all the destruction and the havoc that it rains upon. Yeah, the you know what? Japan. When when I'm watching uh, when I'm watching Godzilla destroy buildings and technology and and vehicles and things, I feel a certain way about it. Like, yeah, of course, I don't want him to continue destroying everything, but at least he's destroying. Like, it's nature inter- intersecting with technology, and nature is winning. When this dinosaur is on Lagos, knocking trees over, very tall, verdant trees in order to to kill his enemies, I don't know. It's are you really on the side of nature anymore? If you're uprooting <laughs> these trees to use as weapons, yeah. And then uh, robots, I give a minus one because we saw what M11 could be used for evil, and uh-huh. only through the reprogramming of of one of our protagonists did m11 come back to the uh the side of good however it it's it's you know he does cause a lot of havoc and the other robots that they use the other androids i should say are there's the twins (laughs) they hired some twins to play androids at one point uh and then also you know that technology went right into making another weapon of Mega King Ghidorah, which in the end saves the day, but spoiler alert warning, will come back <gasps> oh, in no. some fashion. Okay, so, don't tell if it's don't tell us if he comes back as a good guy or a bad guy, though. I won't say. That'll be the big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> which you could probably tell from the title of the movie, whatever it is. Uh, whoever, whichever side of the versus he's on, you could probably tell whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, right? Um, I think it's it's a little more subtle and hidden than that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's Which interesting. is, it's, I, it's, it's, it, there's a trend in Godzilla films of, uh, returns, I will say. And, uh, this yeah, one's been and, used at least three times. 
And for me as a, as a viewer with like little knowledge, like not as much knowledge about Godzilla, every single time I'm watching a new, another Godzilla movie that I've never seen before, I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't know if it's going to be protector Godzilla or destroyer Godzilla. And I like that, that suspense every time. Cause sometimes the characters in the movie aren't sure until, until he fully emerges from the sea and they're like, yeah, we don't know which way the coin's going to land this time, but <laughs> we're hoping for the best. <laughs> Protect Japan, destroy Japan, or somewhere in the middle, probably. <laughs> it's never just visit Japan. You know? No. Uh, Godzilla doesn't just, just take a, just a stroll. Nice scenic height in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> just wave at people from the harbor. All right. Well, you gave everything a minus one, but I, especially for my friend Android M11, I'm going to give robots a plus one because yes, he's evil. But if you have the right disc, if you have the right CD-ROM, you can, you can get him to be your friend again. And he kind of had, what's his ultimate fate? Does he, does he make it to the end of the movie? Yeah. I mean, well, he, He at at the end of the movie, he's in the cockpit with Emmy and then she transports back to the, uh, back to the future uh, without letting Ken know that that uh, she is his descendant, and okay. then yeah, he transports back with her. Okay. Does I'd be shocked if you told me that he comes back in another movie later on. <laughs> I would love to say he does. He does not. Okay. Well, I'm still giving him a plus one. I'm giving the dinosaurs a plus one as well because even though it was an eco terrorist itself and knocked over a bunch of trees, <laughs> it, <laughs> it was. I think it was doing the calculus of like sacrificing those trees to to rescue the rest of the island. I can respect its decisions. And it's not its fault that it got blasted by nuclear radiation in two different timelines and and ended up becoming a giant evil monster as a result of that. So Mm -hmm. I can't hold that against the dinosaurs. And as a big dino fan, I'm going to give them a plus one as well. So um, PJ. I have a bonus rating. What's that? I have a bonus rating. Oh, what is your bonus rating? Minus two to time travelers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Time travel is dangerous business. Don't, listeners, this is a, my official disclaimer. Do not play around with time travel. Okay? It's not, the, you, you know what? I don't even need, need to say more about it because I've already said it in the past. And future me, will, this is the problem with time travel. My brain's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> minus 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 two for time travelers absolutely minus another two from me um <laughs> okay yes, just remember whatever you do when you if you find yourself transported back in time i want you to take the advice of uh abe simpson and if you ever travel back in time don't step on anything because even the tiniest change can alter the future in ways you can't imagine Brilliant. That is good advice to close out on. PJ, I want to thank you again for coming back to Robots versus Dinosaurs. Listeners, you may be able to hear PJ again in the near future when we cover Godzilla versus King Kong and hopefully some more big monster movies, some more Godzilla movies, maybe even some more Transformers movies. There's a lot of options out there. Um, so, PJ, thank you again. And why don't you uh, close this out? Say goodbye to the, to the, to the listeners. Take that, you dinosaur. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Ending it there.
take that, you dinosaur. Hot Goss with Trash Comedy is the podcast where we trade sweet, sweet facts like they're dirty little pieces of gossip. We're a New York-based comedy team, and we're joined each week with a funny, delightful friend. After each person shares their facts, we rate those facts from... Oh my god, that's not hot. That's as cold as the coldest ice you've ever seen. To, oh my god, that's so spicy, my mouth is gone. So if that made sense to you, then please join us on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts.